now open up your word, may we truly hang on every word that you have for us. We know this is what changes us. This is what we're here for, Lord. You are everything to us. You have no rival. You have no equal. And we are here for you. May you speak to us now. Continue to move in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. That was awesome worship. Thank you so much, everyone. That was just, that's exactly what I needed. And if you missed the announcements earlier this morning about Operation Christmas Child, make sure you don't leave without looking at that and taking part in that. Uh, My son found the DVD of Operation Christmas Child, like, in our closet yesterday, put it on. It was like a six-minute video clip of these little kids in Africa getting a gift, the first Christmas present they've ever received, hearing the gospel of Jesus, telling their parents, them getting saved. And my wife and I were both crying on, on Saturday afternoon as, as we watched that. And we have a part in that. We can, we can play a part in that. So definitely look at Operation Christmas Child there. Well, today in this sermon, I am going to be going through Ephesians 4, and we're going to answer one of the most important questions that you will ever have to answer in your life. This is a question that you're going to face when you move out of the house and get out there on your own. This is a question that you're definitely going to be dealing with when you're married. This is a question you'll have when you have kids. Believe me, this will be a big one with kids. This will continue all the way on, even into, into retirement. Seasons of life change. It's inevitable. Things are always changing. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. How do people change? Believe it or not, you probably guessed this, a big part of your beloved identity in Jesus Christ is changing to become less like your old self and more like Jesus Christ. And how many people know some people who need to, be, who need to change in their life? Anyone out there? Yeah? Maybe some, maybe some kids that need to change, maybe a husband, maybe a wife, maybe a mom, a dad, a friend. We all know people who need to change, right? Well, most importantly... You need to change. You personally need to change to become more like Jesus, and that's what we're going to see today. And this is also super important before we begin to get this. Listen to this. Whether you realize it or not, you do need to change yourself. Every single one of us, part of our identity in Christ is we move on from our old patterns, our old lifestyle, and we change into someone who's greater, into who we were created to be, to show the image of God. And Ephesians 4, verse 17 is where we're going to pick it up, where we left off. But before we start this sermon, 10 of 12 in this Beloved Identity series, you have to fully understand this, how change works. Change works in the process of salvation. And I say the process of salvation because salvation actually has three components. We all know salvation. It's a big word. It's a nuanced word. It means everything, right? But to really fully understand what we're going to dive in today, let's just back up for a quick second and talk about the three specific actions that happen, the three specific things that are going on with your salvation, all right? First of all, you have justification, Justification is the declarative act of God when you repent and believe, confess your sin, you turn to Christ. 
You were declared righteous once and for all. That's justification. That is the past forgiveness. You also have glorification. Glorification hasn't happened yet for no one, none of us in this room, but that is our future hope. That's when we see Christ face to face. That's when we have our new resurrected body in eternity in the new earth. That's what we're all looking forward to, all of us who know Jesus Christ. And the in-between time, the here and now, it's like this middle aisle right here. We're all going through this already but not yet process of sanctification. It's just as, mar- just as much a part of your salvation as the other two. But it's the process of life transformation of becoming like Jesus Christ. You can't confuse this. You can't say justification plus sanctification equals glorification. That is completely wrong. That's a false gospel. Don't ever go there. You can't add to your salvation by good works. But they're all components of the same thing. They all work together. Glorification, justification, sanctification. And as a matter of fact, if you're struggling in your Christian life, if you're, if you're looking for joy and you can't find the joy, if you're hurting and you're, and you're wondering, is this all really worth it? There's probably a breakdown in one of these two areas. Okay, either you're not relying on Jesus Christ. He's not the one who's brought you life, or you're actually not looking ahead to your glorification. There's actually a verse, Romans 6.22. I'm going to show you Romans 6.22 for a second. It actually has all three of these in the same sentence. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So there's a provision. This is the justification part a provision with your identity in Christ. And if you aren't growing, if you're struggling, you're probably blind to this provision. This is the part where God has changed you. He's made you who you need to be. We saw this in Ephesians 1, 3, the gifts of grace. We saw this empowerment of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 3, 16. All this goes back to who you are now as a beloved child of God. That's his provision for change. Some people miss that. The other component that we're going to be looking at specifically today is the process for change. This is the sanctification part. This is where you become more and more like Jesus Christ, Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. So let's look at the text now, starting in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you see here the need to change? Do you see how it's just right there in the text? You must put off your old manner of life. No longer live that way. 
It's implied that you as a Christian have to change. You must no longer walk that way. And the first step in this process of spiritual transformation, first point today, put off your old self. Put off your old self. There's a lot here in verses 17 through 22. In this first point, there's a lot of moving pieces here. We have this dark, detailed description of a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ. You can, you can get into the mind of a lost unbeliever, and we're going to talk about that. There's this simple command, which we're looking at it, put off your old self. It can be almost overwhelming if you're trying to do this in your own strength and you're not relying on Christ. And if you've ever tried to do it that way, it is really tough to put off your old self sometimes. And then at the same time, we see this assumed spiritual warfare that's going on. It's the old self versus the new self. Paul is saying here very clearly, you have to keep your head on a swivel. Don't ever relax and think you're okay. You can just coast by and that you can tame the old man and you can get over that. No, it's always going to be a battle. In your soul, in your mind, you're always going to be facing temptations and trials. And we have to be prepared for that. If we don't if we don't focus on Jesus Christ and keep our eyes on him, if we don't surround ourselves by the body of Christ, the process that he set up to help us change, we are going to fall back into our old manner of life, our old lifestyle. And that is the warning that he's giving us. But verses 20 and 21 give us the key to this whole passage. This is really where it begins and ends right here. It unlocks it all. The truth of Putting off and putting on, how do you change? What is verse 20 and 21 talking about? It's through Jesus Christ. And we will be wasting our time if you don't get this. The next 25 minutes will be a complete waste if you don't understand that the process of sanctification doesn't rest in this system. The whole thing rests on a person. Do you see that? The person of redemption is Jesus Christ. This is the truth that you have heard in Jesus. He's the one who changes you. He's the one who enables you. He is the sustainer. It's all on Jesus Christ. The last six words of verse 21, what do they say? As the truth is in Jesus. So it all goes back to Jesus Christ. He is not a vending machine that dispenses out what we need. He doesn't just give you what you think you need, what you want at all times, because Jesus knows what you actually need. And sometimes that doesn't actually match up with what we think we actually need, right? He's not going to just give you anything. He loves us too much to merely make us happy. He saved you to change you, to turn you into who you were created to be, an image bearer of the glory of God. And there will be occasions when God won't give you what you think you deserve. He won't give you what you're looking for that you've planned on. And that's not easy. That's, that's a pretty tough pill to swallow. But we have to trust that Jesus knows us better than we do. He has the end game in mind, and he has a plan for you. The only way you will ever get victory is right here through Jesus Christ. I was reading a book this week that talked specifically about this. It was a book called Holiness by a man named J.C. Ryle. He's no longer living, but you got to listen to those old dead guys sometimes because they have a lot of wisdom, all right? And this is what he said in his book, Holiness. 
J.C. Ryle says, holiness must begin with Christ. We must first belong to him. Would you be holy? Would you become a new creature? Then you must begin with Christ. You will do nothing at all and make no progress till you feel your sin and weakness and flee to him. Does that sound familiar, what I just talked about? Not only does the whole process begin at justification with Jesus Christ, but it carries on all the way through glorification. Our hope for the future rests in Jesus Christ. And these are tied together. He goes on to say in this book, he goes on to say, would you continue to be holy? Then abide in Christ. He says himself, abide in me and I in you. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same beareth much fruit. It pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, a full supply for all a believer's wants. He is the physician to whom you must daily go if you would keep well. He is the manna which you must daily eat and the rock which you must daily drink. His arm is the arm on which you must daily lean as you come up out of the wilderness of this world. You must not only be rooted, you must also be built up in him. And that's Jesus Christ. This message has three points. We're in the first point right now. Put off the old self. All three of these steps in the process are centered around and revolving around Jesus. We're all dependent on him. He is the hope. He links the forgiveness of the past to the growth of the present to the hope of the future. Hope for change in the present is rooted in the hope for eternity, and Jesus is our hope for eternity. So now let's look at these other pieces of putting off, all right? Because there's other elements here in these first few verses, 17 through 22. I think the next place we have to go to is this dark, gruesome description of a lost person's mind, right? I mean, it's just there. And truth be told, this is the offensive part of the gospel right here. When you look at this, let me, let me just show you a slide. I, I just broke it down with the whole description that you see in these verses. Right, look, mind filled with futility. This is the word, the few word futility here is actually talking about emptiness, vanity, worthlessness. It's the same, it's the, the root of the same word that you see in the poetical books. It just means that you're not living for eternity and what you're living for, what you're doing is not going to last. It doesn't have eternal value. Darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, ignorant of the truth, hard-hearted, callous, given over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, and then corrupt through deceitful desires. If you told somebody that's the way they are, are they going to like hearing that? <laughs> Not at all, right? This is the bad news of the gospel right here. Sin and what it does to people. And as a matter of fact, if you reverse engineer this, so verse 19 actually gives you really the description of what happens to people. It's like the byproduct of what's going on in the mind. But if you start at the end of verse 18 and you just like work backwards through this, you can see here that uh, starting at the end of verse 18, let me get to it myself. Yeah, okay, so they have hard hearts. That causes ignorance of God. They don't know who God is. And because they have ignorance of who God is, then they're alienated from the life of God. And then because they're alienated from the life of God, now they're darkened in their understanding. And because they're darkened in their understanding, they're spiritually blind, spiritually blind, so they can't physically see everything the way they need to see it either. They have futility in their mind, and they're not living for eternity. I know a lot of people who don't know Jesus Christ. I have friends. 
And, you know, this doesn't really sound like them, this whole list. Like, what are you talking about? Like, there's some, some of the nicest, sweetest people, most friendly people I know are not even Christians. So how is that supposed that's, that's actually not supposed to be the case. That's bad on the Christian's end. But it's the truth. Sometimes lost people don't look like this at all. This is not describing necessarily their actions, what you see on the outward appearance. This is describing their heart, okay? And their heart, if it does not know God, is alienated from God, their heart is spiritually darkened. There's a lens of darkness where they can't see clearly. They can't see the whole picture the way they need to see the whole picture because spiritually they're blinded. And this is what the way they're like on the inside. Of course there's some nice people. Of course there's some great people with great personalities, talented, intelligent people who don't know Jesus. But we can't forget this is the heart. And so what are you supposed to do with this? What do we do with this as Christians? Well, three takeaways. A first one, I hope you know this because we've been hammering it literally the whole series. Don't forget that you were once separated from Christ. I hope this brings you humility and gratitude towards God because this is exactly the way I was, exactly the way you were before God rescued you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That was Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right? So you were dead in your sins, but God. And he changed us so we don't actually think this way anymore. That's amazing. That's grace. Thank you, Jesus, for that, right? Second thing that I hope you're thinking of when you see this list, stop expecting the world to treat you the right way. Christians, let's stop getting mad because Starbucks doesn't have Christmas, the word Christmas, on their coffee cups, right? We don't need to fight that fight. We clearly have another fight going on in our hands, right? We're trying to change in the image of Christ. We're trying to be renewed from one glory, one degree of glory to the next. We have our own sin to hate. We have our own temptations to fight. We have our prayers we need to be messing with and dealing with with God. We don't need to expect someone who doesn't know Jesus to understand us and to treat us perfectly. It's not going to happen. I mean, this can be a tricky thing because, and it can get awkward sometimes. I, my wife and I, one time, we were walking into Target. This was not in South Carolina. This was another Target in another state. But we're walking into Target, and we saw some friends from our church boycotting Target at the front door. Awkward conversation <laughs> happened after that, all right? I've, I've worked at Starbucks. I've been on the inside. I see what happens to a lost person when a Christian takes this holier-than-thou stand and boycotts something. What are you doing? You're creating a barrier to the gospel. You should never do that. How are you going to pursue them in love if you're expecting them to believe like you believe? You're expecting them to do things that most Christians aren't even doing, Right? See what I'm saying? Now, I could, we could talk about the application of that the rest of the sermon. We're not going to do that. That's just one subpoint. The emphasis that Paul gives here in this passage in Ephesians 4, what is he really emphasizing? That's the way you once were. I want you to now no longer walk that way and change. 
The emphasis for us to focus on here today is that we as Christians, we should be changing to become more like Jesus Christ. In this part, this offensive part of the gospel, okay, you got to have the bad news in there with the good news. Actually, I don't even think we should start with the bad news. Some Christians do start right there. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're falling. Of course, yeah. Oh, yeah, we all are, right? The Bible doesn't begin with Genesis 3 in the fall of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. The Bible begins in Genesis 1 where God created the world and he called it good. He made humans in the image of God, showing his artistic, creative nature, and he said that we were very good. So it started off with good news. Then the bad news came in. We fell, alienated from God. Our minds were darkened. That's what we've just read here in Ephesians 4. That's the bad news. And then there's really good news. Jesus came to this earth and died for us. He shed his blood on the cross so that we could have a new relationship with God and our relationship with him could be restored. And then there's really, really good news, and that's Jesus conquered death, and now he's redeeming us and saving us and changing us, and one day he will glorify us, and he'll bring everything full circle, and he'll create a new heaven and a new earth, and we'll have a resurrected body, and we'll live with God forever. Okay, it began in a garden, and it's going to end with a new earth. So there's a, that's a, the story of the gospel is amazing. It's good news, really bad news, great news, and even better news. You see that? But you don't get to the really, really good stuff if you don't understand that you're separated from God and that you're fallen. So we can't shy away from the identity of an unbeliever. We have to know what that identity is. We have to know that we were once that way, and we have to move forward with that. All right, so here we are. This awful description, there is a way out. I hope you know it. And if you don't have a way out yet, and if you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, you can do it today. You can repent of your sin and by faith turn to Jesus Christ. Believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and you can have this new life that we're talking about. All right, so John 15 talks about this too, the same thing, this whole idea of you're different than the world. You don't think the same way the world thinks. Jesus said it this way, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of this world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And then in Micah 6, we can see from from Scripture, how God calls us to live amongst the world. Okay, God's people, how are we supposed to live amongst people? He has told you, oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. You're not going to change the way they think, right? Only the movement of God and the Spirit of God is going to change a person. But what we can do is we can love justice, We can be for justice. As Christians, that's what we should be for. We shouldn't be against all these other things that they're doing wrong and make them know that. No, we should be about justice. We should be about love and kindness. And we should walk humbly with our God. You see the personal relationship there? Walk humbly with your God. Yeah, they're worshiping other things. They're doing other things that are 
completely foreign to the way you should be living, that's okay. God will save them, Lord willing, one day. You are playing a part in that. You walk humbly with your God. This is part of your beloved identity. And you have to realize that I don't need to point the finger at other people. I need to point the finger back at myself. How am I doing? How am I changing? What am I doing for the glory of God? This is the way I like to think of it right before we move on to the next point. But before you knew Christ, let's say you're driving a car, right? You're at the steering wheel. You're driving the car. You're going where you want to go. You're trying to figure out where to go. You're just going through life, right? And if you don't know Jesus, version 1.0 of yourself is driving this car, and there's like a fog. There's just a haze that's just over everything. It's this darkness, okay? And yeah, sure, you're trying to have fun. You're trying to go to the right places, but you don't really know your final destination. You don't really have a clear end game in mind, right? But once you are saved... In version two point of view, the new creation comes into the car and takes the wheel. Now everything's sunny. Now it's very clear. I actually know who I am. I know my identity now. It's in the image of God, and I have something to live for that's bigger than myself. And you know where you're going. Do you see that? That's the difference. But at the same time, we still have, and Scripture talks about this throughout Scripture, we still have this old self in the car, okay? So it's not like once you get saved, version 1.0 of you is just booted to the curve. As a matter of fact, version 1.0 of you is still in the back seat, being that worst possible backseat driver who's trying to lean over you and take the wheel. Oh, yeah, we still want to go do this. Still live for money. Still go over here. Let's go try that. This will be fun. You want to say, look, you have an odor. You were a miserable person. Like that wasn't a part of my life with Christ. I, I, I don't want you in this car anymore, but you know what? That, that old 1.0 person is still in the car being a backseat driver. And you have to strap them down and don't ever think that you can tame them. Don't let them sit next to you and share the driving time. Don't do that. Paul talks about this in Romans 7. Uh, I mean, if anyone, you would think, doesn't still struggle with the flesh, you would think it would be the Apostle Paul, right? This is what he says in Romans 7, 18 through 20. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Do you see why we have spiritual warfare, and warfare on our hands, in our souls? It's very clear. You still have the backseat driver, and you need to make sure they don't take control of the wheel. It's actually something that you have to intentionally do to put it away. Here's the second point, though, because it's a good, good time for this. It's a really good time to go to the second point. To live in the reality of who you are, your beloved identity in Christ, you have to make a conscious decision to choose the way of Christ over your old way. And now, point two, you also have to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is verse 23. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So yeah, 
Part of changing means you willfully put something away. I make a decision. I'm not going to do that anymore. But look at this with me in verse 23 and think through this. Does step two in this whole process be renewed? Does this happen before you put it away? Does it happen after you put it off? Or does it happen at the same time? What, is, what do you think the text is saying there? Are you looking at that? What's the, what is the whole system process? What does this look like? What's the timeline look like? Well, if you break it down, verse 23, I'll read it with you. To put off, verse 22, excuse me, to put off your old self, which is, belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Okay, so put off, and then there's the description of the old manner of life. And then it says, be renewed. Put off and be renewed. Put off and be renewed. Well, if you break that tense down and you look at it grammatically in the original language, it's happening at the exact same time. Okay? This isn't a, I have to be renewed in my thinking first, and then I can put off. No, it's the same thing happening at the same time. Now, that's hard to process. It's hard to understand. But that's what we have in the text. So, Jesus Christ is the one who's actively changing you. As you make the decision, I'm not going to do that anymore, Jesus Christ changes the way you think. Because that part, this part is passive. The be renewed part is completely passive. And Jesus is the one who's doing that. The power to change begins when you trust Christ. And as you submit to his way, you make new decisions, different than the 1.0 decisions. Jesus renews the spirit of your mind, and that's the attitude of how you think. So I have a, I have a friend, and he used to love pizza. Okay, His appetite, this man loved to pound some pizza, and he could really pound pizza. As a matter of fact, he loved bread in general. Anybody love bread out there? Yeah? You probably know where I'm going with this, right? His appetite was all about pizza. And I remember uh, he would call people who were gluten-free, he would call it glutton-free. And uh, one time we had, a, we had a church picnic, and he was on the grill cooking the hot dogs. And he got the hot dog buns too close to the, to the dogs. And one of the ladies in the church got super upset about that. Cross-contamination, how dare you? I mean, he got miles out of those jokes. He just, lots of humor came from her freaking out over the hot dog buns that got some, that contaminated the meat. Well, found out, as time went on, pizza was hurting his stomach. Bread was hurting his stomach. Sure enough, he gets diagnosed with celiac disease, right? It doesn't, like, he still has an appetite for pizza. Like, he likes the taste of pizza. You can't just change your appetite, right? Can you say, ah, I don't like the taste of steak anymore. I just don't like that. I don't like the taste. You fill in the blank. I don't like the taste of beer. I don't like the taste of yogurt. You can't change what you like as far as the taste of your appetite. But when you say, no, I'm not going to have that because it's harmful for me. And you know, when I eat bread, my stomach gets into a knot and I'm miserable and it has harmful effects and it's destructive for my day and my life. So you know what? Even though you like the taste, you still say no. And that's, that's what we have here as we grow and we change in Christ. I see this sin, this old lifestyle. You know what? I still may have an appetite for it. It was fun. 
but I see what it does to me, and I'm going to say no. And at the same time you say no, what does Jesus Christ do? He changes your appetite, renews the spirit of your mind. When you put it off, Jesus renews the spirit of your mind, and your appetite changes. That's what we're seeing in the text. And here's a sneak peek towards next week, verses 25 through 32. Stop lying. Stop yelling and getting angry. Stop putting yourself in tempting situations and feeding off the flesh. And you will be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Jesus changes your appetite. So that's important to get. But we're not quite done yet because there's one more step in the process. There's one more crucial element in this this way that we change, and as soon as you see it, you're going to agree it's not going to go smoothly unless we do this. So look at verse 24 with me. Verse 24, what does it say? And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. You can't just put something off if you're not going to replace it with something else. Anybody can tell you that. The person who is spiritually darkened, okay, we're, we're not even talking about intelligence here. We're just talking about, spiritually speaking, they are blind, and they don't even see things right. They will tell you this. This is obvious. You can't quit smoking and not just do anything, right? You have to replace it with something. So what you do as a Christian to change, to become more like Jesus, is you put off, and now you put on Christ, So you change the decisions you are making, and you make new decisions, and you replace it with something else. You replace your old self with the new self. And look at that description of your beloved identity, version 2.0 of you. Do you see that in verse 24? Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. True righteousness, this isn't a surface, phony facade that tries to just look spiritual. No, this is actually like you've changed it. You love Jesus. You love other people. You hate sin. You hate your own sin. You're different. There's true righteousness here and holiness. God says to be holy as I am holy. Be different. That's that's all that really means. God is different. He's completely unique. There's no one like him. And he's calling you as a Christian who has a beloved identity now to also be different. You shouldn't be thinking the same way. You shouldn't be living the same way as the world, the way you once lived. People who don't know God, you can change. You can have a new energy, a new passion. You can have a new heart. You can change when you give your life to Jesus Christ. Holiness is standing out and being different. And that's actually how you can be the change that you want to see. You've heard that quote, right? Be the change you want to see? Well, be different first. You're not going to be different, and you're not going to change anybody unless you let Jesus change you first. You put off You put on, as Christ is renewing your mind to empower every one of these decisions, you change. And this is so so crucial that you get this. You can't have one of these without the other, right? You can't just put off. Of course not. If you just take your shirt off, change your clothes, 
uh, well, you can't go everywhere, right? You can go to the beach, but you can't go everywhere you want to go without a shirt. You have to take it off, and you have to put on something else. And you definitely don't want to just put on before you put off, right? Because then you're in that really awkward position where you have this stinky, grimy, old T-shirt underneath your new shirt. And that reeks. That's never a good thing. You got this bunched up collar sticking, popping out, right? Nobody wants to see that. Change your shirt. Change your shirt. Have you ever seen a person who just needs to really change their shirt and retire an old shirt? We've seen that. We've all seen that. It's like, wow, yeah, I'm sure that was great 20 years ago, but there's some holes, there's some stretches going on in that shirt. Uh, I mean, there's a spare tire here now in the equation that probably wasn't meant to be in the beginning. That's, that's why it's uh, the wrong size. I mean, I know you think it might just be because of too many washes in the washing machine, but no, it's just, you need a new shirt. Just put on a new shirt, okay? This is what we're talking about. Putting off the old lifestyle and putting on the new. This is your new life in Christ. Change those clothes. I mean, Julie and I talk about this all the time. It's like, hey, I'm looking out for you. You look out for me. She does more looking out for me than I do for her, really, truth be told. But, like, we don't ever want to get to this point where we have an old style. Like, I don't want to dress the same way I dressed in college 10 years ago. You know, people can be like that. They're just, like, their peak social time of their life. Like, they still have the same shoes. They still have the same hairstyle. It's noticeable. You're like, wow, that's 10 years, that's 10, 20 years ago, whatever it is. No, change it and become new in Christ. We all need a style buddy to help us re- realize what's going on. Are you changing your clothes? Are you taking off the old and putting on the new? And when you do that, at the same time, the Holy Spirit is renewing your mind. He's changing your appetite, and you don't even want the same things anymore. Put off the flesh the old way. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on Christ and live out your beloved identity. That's how you change. Let's stand up. And worship team, you can come on up here as well. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer right now. And I hope we can see this. This process is simple. But it's really hard if we're trying to do it on our own. That's why you've got to go back to verses 20 and 21 when you're, when you're looking at this. It has to be through Jesus Christ. It all centers on him. Let's, let's pray. God, we are so grateful that you sent Jesus into this world to die for us. That you have a plan for us that's greater than our plan that we had for ourselves. Lord, make us into who you created us to be. Someone who shows your glory. We were made in your image to show your truth, to show your justice, to show your love, your kindness, your holiness, to be different. And Lord, it's you who changes us. And you're the one who makes us into someone who makes a difference and makes a change in this world. Lord, please empower us to put off the old, to strap down that old backseat driver who always wants to get in there and take the reins. Maybe we, may we be aware of that, Lord. Maybe we be very conscious of the fact that we have to live with the purpose of your glory for your name. Empower us to do that. 
change us from one degree of glory to the next, one step at a time, make us more like your son, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.